Welcome to this Endo Life episode 89. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior and endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. Um, and I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made um, and contain beautiful essential oils and their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community they're getting loads of feedback about it Um, and you know if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's the patch in a bath bomb. Um, so, you know, if you're on your period or if you're in pain, you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs um, or one of them. I don't know, you could have multiple if you want. Um, and then, yeah, get out the bath, maybe rub in some CBD balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but... Um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk. And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. Okay, so I'm anticipating this is going to be a long one. If you're listening to this now, it might be split into two because I have about eight pages of notes in front of me and I don't know how long that's going to take to go through. But before I get started, I just wanted to say like, I hope you guys are, um, you know, as safe and as well as possible and um, yeah, just sending you guys love. So if you were following me on Instagram in Feb, you would have seen my stories um, as I was taking you guys through my elimination diet for interstitial cystitis. Now, I stopped doing that because the elimination diet started going on longer than I had anticipated it would. Um, I was becoming more ill, essentially, um my I don't I feel like Instagram blocked me I was doing like really long stories and then it stopped allowing me to do it I was only allowed to do four stories at a time and it's still not changed and I can't tell you how infuriating it is because you can't really tell it doesn't like you don't even finish a story it cuts you off mid-story so I get like three and a half stories and then I have to re-record and it's an absolute pain. So I'm not doing video stories that much at the moment. I I don't know. I'm waiting for them to like either unblock me or for this bug to go away. It might be a bug. A couple of people have told me they've had it too. Um, and I was getting a lot of messages of people really finding it helpful 
but just a lot of people being like you know concerned or offering um advice or um feeling like really sad about it and like that I was in pain and um I just felt like maybe it was getting too much too much for me um to have the energy to respond to all of the messages um because I wasn't feeling great and I even though I wasn't feeling great like I didn't feel I can't explain it I still I still felt resilient I still felt determined and so like I was having conversations with people like oh you know it's not that bad like I mean it was that bad but like I don't know like I wasn't giving up and I I wanted people to know that so I was trying to kind of communicate that in my responses and without kind of being offen- like sounding offensive like I can't explain it like I I guess I can explain it in one way when I I had I went to a Hindu years ago and um there was a girl there who I know she's a friend of a friend and you know I know her over the years she's been at the same parties um but I don't have her number like we're chat at an event and that's kind of it and everyone was kind of drunk at this point I don't think I was no I wasn't because I was actually due on my period the next day so I hadn't drunk a thing and um she came up to me and said oh how like how are you um and I was like yeah good and she was like oh because you know every time I speak to so-and-so who's hen party it was she was like you know I ask how you are she's like yeah she's not great she's pretty you know she's struggling or something and it really cut me so hard um because I was just like is that how people see me that because I have like you know I, I have health issues and I haven't had kind of um the easiest ride in life that people see me as like it 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 was such a loaded, the way she said it was so loaded, it sounded like there was so much sympathy and pity in her voice. And I think I had another person say like, I got something similar before. And I was like, I, it just made me feel like a victim. And I don't know, something about it in this context really upset me in that in the context of the Hindu. And with the messages, I was like trying to say to people, like, thank you so much for your concern. Like, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys messaging me. It was so lovely. But I also wanted to be like, but you know, it's okay. Like, you know, I'm I'm gonna be fine. Like I was kind of trying to reassure people. And I think I have a habit of doing that. Like when I was in hospital with my car accident people would come and they would like cry at my bedside and get really upset and I and then I was like reassuring them and being like no it's okay like and um so maybe that's just a tendency like I don't want people feeling sorry for me or feeling bad and um and the last thing I want to do is put my listeners in distress and my you know and like our community on Instagram in distress so I was like I think this is coming across wrong. Like I think people, I'm trying, what I was trying to do is share my story honestly and let you guys know what it's like, but I didn't want to distress anyone. And I think that's what I was worrying about that, like that people were messaging me and, and feeling like it was so terrible 
and it was kind of freaking them out that they might have to do that one day or or I just I think it fed into the narrative of like how terrible endo is and the co-conditions that come with it but if you've been following me for a long time you know that I'm like I try I'm not like oh let's like patch this up with positive statements um but I try to find us solutions and that's what I was trying to do right I was trying to find solutions and I was trying to show you my journey so that you were prepared if you ever had to cross that bridge but I didn't expect it to um become as complicated as it did for my health and I just didn't well Instagram blocked me I felt it was starting to just to distress people and I felt like I didn't have the energy to um like pretend that I was like okay and reassure people when like I didn't I definitely didn't feel like the victim and I didn't feel and I don't mean that like when I say the victim like clearly we've we we have all gone through tough things with endo but I didn't want I think for me I didn't want to feel helpless and so um yeah I just I was like you know what I think I'm gonna calm this down um do this on my own and then come back and give you guys an update on the other side and I hope that's come across well and that hasn't come across like I was I'm a bit sure that I was being like um ungrateful I was so grateful to have your messages they you know like when people came to see me in the hospital I was still grateful right I was still grateful people were concerned but as the person who was lying there with a broken spine I felt so bad that they felt bad for me and I didn't have the capacity or the energy to try and make them feel better and I think that's kind of the situation like I felt it was my responsibility to reassure the people who were messaging me and um and I didn't have the energy to do that anymore gosh I hope that's come across right anyway um so I stopped and um I thought I would finally fill you guys in on what's happened now, before I go any further, um, I want to let you guys know that if you have a history of eating disorders, I don't know, this might not be the episode for you because um, a lot of it is around um, restrictive eating. And, you know, I am talking about chronic pain a lot in this episode. And um, I, I really struggled with this elimination diet. I really struggled. So even though I didn't share, I didn't continue to share my story in the, in the stories, I am going to be sharing it here and I'm, I'm not going to, you know, sugarcoat it, but, um, I'll do it as mindfully as possible. But if you're, I don't know, like, you know what headspace you're in. And if you think hearing a story of someone struggling is not going to be helpful for you right now, then definitely, you know, feel free not to listen to this episode. Sorry, I'm like fidgeting around. So I think you're going to hear hear me fidgeting um okay so let's start from the beginning I decided to work with Dr Jessica Drummond um she's my tutor um and a nutritionist and a pelvic floor physiotherapist and a functional medicine nutritionist or doctor or she's she's everything she's amazing she's been on the show before so have a listen to her episodes as you know I have 
gotten to a point with my periods um, where my pain is pretty much like non-existent in terms of my period pain. Um, my gut health has massively improved. My brain fog and fatigue have massively, massively improved. But I knew that I could do better with my brain fog and, and fatigue. And um, as my bladder, sorry, as my period pain subsided, I started to notice that there was this other pain there in my bladder. And um, over the years, it's progressively gotten worse. Um, and now it's with me every single day and, and all night. And, um, so I went to Jessica and I had been in pain at this point for three weeks straight, um, day and night. And I also had other symptoms that had been going on for a really good while, but they've been worsening as well. Um, and no doctor has been able to give me an answer for it. So, um, I get dizziness, um, and just before I started working with Jessica, I had a about a 24, maybe longer hour period of full on dizziness where I literally felt I was falling over all the time. I couldn't even pick up a glass of water properly because I couldn't tell where the glass was. Um, I was having heart palpitations. I was having chest pain to the point where I thought I was having a heart attack. Um, I think you guys know about that. Um, insomnia bladder pain, um, like I said, fatigue and brain fog to a degree, um, constant runny nose, and then this insane level of congestion in my nose, insane level. Um, I've always had rosacea since I was a teenager and I've managed to get that under control, but like it's still there and that's very much linked to, um, what I'm going to talk about. And, um, you know, I've really got on the top of my bloating as well, but that was still something that I wanted to to address because, you know, if I eat a sweet potato, I'll bloat. Um, so I wanted to be able to eat certain vegetables without having such a dramatic reaction. But the key reason why I was going was because of my bladder pain. And when I went in February, I had done this like challenge for in the last three months of the year the uh, 2019 and I had gone a whole month without cacao so any cacao projects any um you know 100% black chocolate and the blood pain didn't change I went a whole month without decaf tea so even though I wasn't drinking a lot you know I was having probably like four cups of decaf tea a month um didn't change I went a whole month without decaf coffee and again I was probably having that like four, five times a month in um, my follicular and ovulatory cycles didn't change. Um, so I was just like, what the hell is the trigger? Because in the beginning, when my bladder pain was kind of beginning to creep in, I, you know, I was like, okay, tomatoes have done it. I cut out tomatoes and it helped. And then it progressed to like lemons and then limes and then um, what were the other things I started cutting out? I can't remember now, but then it just got to a point where it was like everything was bothering it. So I was like, okay, I can't, um, work this out on my own anymore. So at the Integrated Women's Health Institute, um, we're trained in an endo elimination diet. It's pretty strict, but you don't have to go through it if you don't want to. 
um, and we can adapt it. And then if you have bladder pain, there's also the option to eliminate oxalates and histamines. Um, so oxalates um, are the definition is that they're a salt from oxalic acid. I think that's how you say it. Um, and histamine is made in the immune system in the body in response to allergens. So if you think about when pollen enters the body, histamines are released and that's what creates like a hay fever sort of reaction. Um, but histamines are also made from bacterial process in food and so some foods are really high in histamines um, and histamine is also used in like various other processes in the body but including um, during menstruation so they're actually released um, from these cells called mast cells they're the ones that contain histamines and release them when necessary and they're in the lining of the uterus and when um we have our when when we're about to have our period the histamines are released and that actually starts to create those um cramps basically to um cause the bleeding and what's also really interesting is that estrogen stimulates the release of histamine so if we have and actually there's so much i could talk about in relation to that but i i want to do a whole other episode on um histamines and also get a histamine specialist on the show um but if we have a lot of estrogen like we have excess estrogen or estrogen dominance then we can have a lot of histamine problems so histamines become a problem when our body no longer breaks it down and uh, so what happens is we we essentially end up with having an excess of histamine in the body and that starts to create these reactions usually histamine is broken down by two different enzymes one's called dao and one's called hn MT. And sometimes these stop being produced because of gut health problems um, or lack of nutrients. There's quite a few reasons why they would stop being produced. Or we have the genes to make, we, we don't have the genes to make them in the first place. Um, and then there is another issue that um, it's called mast cell activation syndrome. And that's essentially where the mast cells that release the histamine are like oversensitive. They're triggered by a lot of things and they end up just firing out that histamine all the time creating a buildup of histamine in the body much quicker than the body can process it so to give you an overview um and i'm kind of trying to hold the book and talk into the mic at the same time so you're going to hear me flicking through the book um i'm going to read you the symptoms of histamine intolerance from dr becky campbell's book the four-phase histamine reset plan um diarrhea headaches or migraines congestion or a runny nose low blood pressure hives asthma attacks eczema psoriasis crawling sensations on skin or scalp hypertension vertigo fatigue flushing abnormal menstruation anxiety and a raised um heart rate and then for mast cell activation syndrome there are some other symptoms but these can definitely cross over so the symptoms would be rash hives itching heart palpitations low blood blood pressure headaches chest pain weight changes digestive upset such as nausea vomiting or diarrhea loss of appetite anxiety vision changes fatigue weakness and dizziness um so i tick almost all of those um and the thing with histamine intolerance 
or you know just having a histamine problem in general is that it's really hard to track and trace and that's because some days you don't eat as many histamines and your body can tolerate them better but then the next day you have the same thing again but you've now got a build up of histamine in your body because you had them yesterday and you react worse and then maybe by day three you're in a lot of pain or maybe you ate different things but you know you ate a couple more histamines from something else but you had the avocado again for two days in a row and you're just you're essentially um the analogy that is used a lot is that it's like a bucket so you're filling your bucket with histamines and it spills over so it can be really difficult to trace which foods are triggering the reactions because it's not really about the foods it's about like the level of histamines that you're having so I'm going to tell you what I cut out um, just to give you some context but I want you to kind of remember that this is a diet it wasn't a diet it was an elimination diet so it's not a long-term diet and elimination diets are never long-term they are simply tools for identifying triggers um, and calming down the body enough that we can actually get in there and work out what's happening um, and this is a very extreme one that Jessica and I kind of went over very carefully to make sure that I was getting as many nutrients as I could possibly get and um, you know do it for as minimal amount of time as we could. So this is what I couldn't have and um, this first list is um, just kind of a common standard elimination diet for endometriosis and in you know any kind of anti-inflammatory diet really. So alcohol, caffeine, dairy, gluten, soy, sugar, sweeteners, peanuts, corn, eggs, processed meat, trans fats, processed flowers and fast food. So that was fine because um, I didn't really eat any of those anyway, except for peanut butter and corn. Um, I love to have, make my own popcorn occasionally. And then on top of that, um, again, I couldn't have alcohol, fermented foods, so sauerkraut, kefir, yogurt, kombucha, cured meats. Obviously, I don't eat meat, so that wasn't a problem. Dried fruit, soured, soured foods. Um, such as sour cream or sour dough bread, aged cheese, baker's yeast, nuts, avocados, eggplant, spinach, tomatoes, smoked fish, a couple of other fish, but I don't eat fish, that's fine. I also don't eat cheese or dairy, so that's all good. Um, bananas, chocolate, papaya, pineapple, shellfish, strawberries, preservatives and food dyes, black tea, green tea, energy drinks, uh, nightshade vegetables, um, paprika, pepper spices, cayenne pepper, um, vinegars, citrus fruits, vitamin C supplements, spinach, rhubarb, cashews, almonds, wait, it was just nuts, sorry, the kind of lists overlap, but yeah, nuts I couldn't have in general, beetroot I couldn't have, sweet potatoes I couldn't have, raspberries, okra, excess salt, um, and if I ate meat, then I wouldn't I would also be having to rule out grains and beans and legumes, but because I don't eat meat, we need to keep them in so that I had some source of protein. So it was a lot of things that I couldn't eat. Um, essentially, I could have blueberries, blackberries, apples, pears, dates, coconut, 
Um, I could have broccoli, cauliflower, I think green beans, Brussels sprouts, um, lettuce. Um, I could have onions. I could have garlic. I could have carrots. I could have parsnips. Then obviously I could have some beans. Um, and I could have, I could have quinoa and rice. Um, and that was about it. I could actually have some olives and olive oil as well and coconut oil. But um, I don't personally eat apples, pears or dates often, at least not in my premenstrual phase or my menstrual phase because I just find them too sugary um, for my pain levels. So um, it was a bit of a challenge in that regards. So um, by the time I started, you know, I'd already been in pain for three weeks and the first week, my pain seemed to skyrocket. I was waking up between 2am and 4am and not getting back to sleep because my bladder was so painful. Um, so I was being woken up by my bladder. And I was struggling to get to sleep because my bladder was so painful. Um, and that was clearly making it worse because lack of sleep heightens um, pain signals. I did some research that week and... Um, I was kind of looking at some studies on ginger, turmeric, and cinnamon, and I was like, okay, these could be a pro these could be a problem. So I took those out, and I was pretty devastated about that. Um, and I had about an afternoon, or maybe it was a night of um, lower pain, but the next day it was back. Um, and then eventually, I got on the phone to Jessica and we worked out that my protein powder was actually fermented, which means it's very high in histamines. So clearly that was out by this point. And I was really, really devastated by that because my protein, I have um, a really wonderful hormone healthy um, smoothie every morning. And if anyone has had unflavored protein powder, you know, it is not fun. So I had to get some plain unflavored organic pea protein powder um, because anyone that had any kind of like natural flavoring had something else in that I couldn't have. Um, and I got some stevia drops and I went through this crazy research circle trying to understand if stevia had oxalates and it was like, yeah, the leaf does, but like the extract doesn't and all this confusing, uh, conflicting information. But I, I kind of gathered by the end of it that like if you had a powdered, you can kind of get like raw um stevia leaf powder um but like the extract is is fine because it's such a minimal amount so i used that to sweeten the smoothie a little bit because i make veg smoothies essentially um and so i was blending frozen carrots blueberries and cauliflower but without the vanilla flavor or the sweetness, it wasn't pleasant because I wasn't even, I wasn't using a massive amount of stevia, just a little bit. I didn't want to go OTT. Um, and I had one day of low pain um, and it returned. I, I thought I hit the nail on the head. I was like, it's working, like emailed Jess. And then like the next day it was back. So by this point, I'm thinking it's the blackberries that we had kept in because um, I seemed to have increased in burning inside my bladder um, after I had blackberries. Now, what's complicated is the lists really vary. 
um, especially for high oxalates. Um, some lists by experts say that blackberries are high in histamines. Some say they're not. I think it's probably because it probably depends on the freshness. Um, histamines develop as soon as a animal is killed or food is picked. It's a bacterial process. So the less fresh food, less fresh food is, the um, worse the histamine content will be. Um, and some some oxalate lists say that blackberries are low in oxalates. Some say they're extremely high. So helpful, of course. Um, but if I ruled out blackberries, then we I would be taking out um, a really rich source of antioxidants. And, you know, I was already playing with a very small amount of food. And Jessica, you know, advised me against it. But um, by this point, I was desperate. So I cut them out for a few days. And again, I got this temporary relief in the form of like lower pain. It never went. It never went fully. Um, but I counted a good day when I could kind of sleep until 5 a.m. rather than 2. Um, and then I'd, you know, I'd taken out the blackberries. And during this time, I noticed eating a raw apple really increased my pain and caused burning um and that's quite unusual but I spoke to Jessica and she was like that's really interesting um she just had a patient with bladder pain who found that apples really trigger her pain and actually weirdly enough I was literally listening to an IC podcast this morning and um they mentioned that some people are fine with apples and some people really aggravate their bladders so that was really interesting because I had not heard of that before um so then we, I started cooking all my fruit, um, making sure that if I had an apple, I had it baked. Um, and also one thing I haven't got here in my notes, but I should mention is that at some stage I got my period and because I had so little food to eat, you know, I was still eating apples. I was eating pears. Um, I wasn't having many dates to be honest, cause they're just so high in sugar, um, but I was eating on a daily basis more sugar than I normally would. And my period was horrific. It was really bad. It was like the worst period I had had in years. Um, so that, you know, I was, but at that point I was like, okay, by the time the next one comes, I really need to not be eating the apples and the pears and stuff. Um, and just, you know, disclaimer, like I'm not telling you not to eat pears apples or dates they're full of nutrients um I just know at which points in my cycle I can have them um and I just have to be a bit more mindful with sugary fruit um that's how it works for me um so I was also eating like you know beans and legumes um because I don't eat meat um and they appear on some histamine lists to rule out, um, but they're also on a lot of um, kind of autoimmune protocols to cut out too. So there is a possibility that um, they were they were problematic for me, but I wasn't going to start eating meat. I was already distressed enough, um, and I had I was willing to eat organic eggs, so I was eating organic eggs. Um, so as a you you don't basically that original list with the eggs um you can keep in unless you know like if you know you're not sensitive to them you can keep in but Jessica wanted me to add them in so I had some more nutrients um but I wasn't willing to start eating meat 
given that I was so distressed, like it just wasn't the time for me to make such a big decision like that when I haven't eaten meat in eight years. Um, you know, it's a, it's a values thing for me. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. This episode is also sponsored by my free guide, Managing Endometriosis Naturally. If you don't know where to start with beginning to take a holistic approach to managing your endometriosis symptoms, then this might help you. Um, if you'd like to download it, just head to the show notes and follow the link and you can get your free copy. But, you know, having said all of that, it's impossible to have a completely histamine free diet. You can have a low histamine diet, but you can't have a histamine-free diet because histamines are building up all the time. Um, and so, like, you need to be freezing food. You need to be, like, not cooking in batches or freezing things immediately. You need to get things as fresh as possible. There's always going to be a level of histamine in our foods. Um, and so I had cut out such a dramatic amount of histamines that you would have thought there would be some kind of response to this, and there wasn't. Um, so by this point, I'm probably about four weeks in. We originally were going to do it for two, three weeks, but because I wasn't, my, my reactions weren't calming down, we were like tweaking and so it went on for longer. And so at this point, I stripped back all of my supplements except the ones Jessica had put me on. And I should have mentioned this earlier, but um, I was put on a lot of supplements because I had a stool test done and a urine test done. Um, so the stool test is called GI map and the urine test is called organic acids. Um, and they came back showing that I had low antioxidants. I wasn't absorbing antioxidants. Um, I wasn't absorbing A, E, C or alpha lipoic acid. Um, I had, um, a gut, I had bacterial imbalance in my gut. I had low digestive enzymes, um, low secretory IgA, and um, vitamin B deficiencies, magnesium deficiencies, and antioxidant deficiencies. And um, I was so shocked when I got this. I suspected the low digestive enzymes, the gut, and the gut issues, but I didn't expect the I didn't expect the problem with the absorbing the antioxidants um, or the B, the B, vitamin B deficiencies or magnesium deficiencies um, because. I am the most responsible vegan around. Um, I take the correct supplements. I eat like I eat so well. I can't tell you like, you know, I'm, I eat eight portions of vegetables a day, two portions of fruit. I'm always like up. You know, I'm always like adding antioxidants as much as possible. I take magnesium tablets. I take B vitamin tablets. Um, I try to get as much as I can from food as well. And so I was just like, what the hell is going on? And it was because I'm not absorbing. I'm not absorbing the food. My gut is so compromised. And because I've got low digestive enzymes, um, I couldn't, I, I couldn't absorb the things that I was eating and taking in. Um, so 
uh, a quick side note, everything that I had are signs of SIBO. Um, nutrient deficiencies, um, low B12, uh, dysbiosis, digest- low digestive enzymes, low secretory IgA, um, they can all occur as a result of SIBO. They can recur, occur from other things too, but um, all kind of arrows are pointing into that direction. Um, so as a result, I was taking something called colostrum to rebuild my secretory, secretory IgA. So what secretory IgA is, by the way, is um, it is like, it's part of the immune system and it's like a mucus, a protective barrier on your gut lining. Um, and that was gone. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's really, it plays a really important role in your gut health and your overall health. So I was taking colostrum, which is um, actually from milk. Um, I didn't know that at the time, but at this point I was like, I have to take it. I don't have any SIGA. Um, and that replaced the SIGA. I was also taking Saccharomyces boulardii, I think, <laughs> um, which is a yeast um, for to balance out my gut dysbiosis, uh, the gut bacterial imbalance. I was taking a multivitamin, alpha lipoic acid. Um, I was taking betaine hydrochloric acid to replace my stomach acid because if I had low digestive enzymes, the likeness was that I had low stomach acid as well. So that was going to help me to absorb food better and you can and break down food better. And if you want to know more about that, go back to, I think it's Understanding the Endobelly Part 2, um, where I talk about the role of stomach acid. I was taking digestive enzymes, magnesium, omega-3 fatty acids, plus the ones that I already take for endometriosis. Um, so I kept on those guys and I stopped taking the ones I was taking to, for endometriosis, which obviously was a little bit scary. Um, and by this point, I was really, really miserable. I mean, I, I was miserable pretty early on. Um, I was exhausted because I wasn't sleeping. Um, and I came to realize that I was really low in a couple of neurotransmitters, which I think we'll talk about in another episode because um, there's someone that I want to get on the show to discuss it. But um, neurotransmitters are like your happy hormones in your brain. They're the chemicals in your brain like dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, catecholamines, um, and they keep you happy and motivated. And they're also natural pain relievers. They're, they're actually really powerful pain relievers. And I realized that food was really providing me with that hit of feel-good hormones. So when you eat, you know, a piece of chocolate or sugar, or even just you just eat a really good meal, it triggers the production of these neurotransmitters. It boosts them. There's a there's lots of things that boost them, being outside in nature, um, exercising, cuddling, um, and, you know, to make them, we need amino acids from protein. But you can produce them through these these actions, you know, interaction, um, being people, that kind of thing. And what I realized was that um, food was really providing me with some of my kind of only boosts of these neurotransmitters. Um, I've been, you know, working on my own from home for a long time now. So I don't really 
until I started coaching, I wasn't really um, having massive interaction with people. Um, and my my days weren't, they just weren't that stimulating um, until I started, you know, coaching and then I'm interacting with people a lot. And I can really feel the difference now. I get off the call and I'm just like completely buzzing. Um, but that food was the thing that was giving me my hits throughout the day. And um, now because I didn't like what I was eating, it was so bland. I couldn't use like loads of spices that we loved. Um, I was just miserable when I ate and I didn't get any release of the happy hormones. And I had very little to look forward to. Um especially as someone who has endometriosis, I don't have the energy, um, to do like to go out every weekend. And, um, so cooking was a big part of my weekend and trust me guys, I tried, I tried, I tried so many different ways to make this food exciting or to bake this food in, 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 you know, in an interesting way. Um, or to try and, you know, bake something, but I couldn't use, I couldn't use, um, you know, flour replacements. I couldn't use nuts. I couldn't use, um, vegan binders. Um, I couldn't use baking powder. And like, I, it was just, it was, it, I felt the only thing I could do was, um, in the end, Jessica was like, try a little bit of ground almonds. So I would, um, no, it wasn't ground almonds. It was coconut flour. Um, I would chop up half an apple because I was a bit scared of the apple giving me the pain. And I would um, sprinkle it with coconut flour um, and coconut oil. And I'd have like this very terrible version of a crumble. And that was kind of the closest I could get. I tried making... Um, blueberry muffins and they just crumbled apart like it was it was not pleasant but I tried to make something all the time like all the time and and I had to you know when I did go into London I couldn't really buy anything out like I discovered quite early on how difficult it was getting so I made myself um one weekend I made like these fat bombs um these like coconut fat bombs and I made these kind of sort of like alternative falafel balls um and the falafel balls totally crumbled like bread crumb crumbled and the fat bombs made me really sick I think because I just didn't have enough digestive enzymes to absorb all of the fat um so I would go you know to London for a day and I'd just have these fat bombs in my bag and that's all I could really like snack on because the falafel had fallen apart and yeah, so I realized that I was, I was really, really low. And, um, on top of that, my gut health seemed to be reversing. I'd gotten into a really good place with my gut health, but all of a sudden my bloating was back like all the time. I was burping loads, like constantly. Um, and I started having constipation and I never have constipation. Um, I felt like food was just sitting in my stomach for days. Um, and I think there was a few reasons for that. So one, I think was stress. I think the whole thing was obviously stressing me out. Um, and stress turns off the, um, digestive system. So definitely go back to my episodes on the endo to understand more about that. 
Um, I had a dramatic change in food and less fiber. So that was clearly going to affect my gut. And I think SIBO is present. And um, a lot of the foods that I could still eat were cruciferous vegetables, which I have every day, but I was just having them in a larger quantity. And I think I have hydrogen sulfide type SIBO. Um, and if so, sulfide containing veggies can make it a lot worse um, and food. So eggs, cauliflower, broccoli, sprouts, all of the things I was eating could be making it worse. Um, so I think that's what was going on there. And, um, we continued for a little longer, um, testing different theories. And eventually we actually took out the betaine HDL because we were just wondering if that was a culprit, because sometimes if you don't need betaine HDL, you'll get burning sensation. Um, doesn't usually happen in the bladder though, but you know, Jessica was like, it's not, it's not impossible. So let's take it out. And I did feel a bit better after that. But, um, again, it was like a day a day of like a lower pain and then it was bigger than it came back. Um, and after six weeks, I was allowed to reintroduce foods. So normally, normally you'd do something like this for like two weeks, three weeks. And then one by one, you'd reintroduce the food. So you'd do three days adding in the food and then you'd do four days off the food and you would see if there was any delayed reactions. And if it was all good, you could add that back into your diet. And then the next week you would try a different food um instead of doing these one by one we actually decided not to do that um and instead I just kept to an anti-inflammatory um and blood sugar stabilizing diet without worrying about the histamines and the oxalates and we did this because um by this point my blood sugar was really all over the place and I was getting really dizzy and of course with an elimination diet the the kind of hope is that you would start to feel better, your symptoms would calm down. So then when you reintroduce the foods, you would be able to tell which ones were aggravating you. But I was at like the peak of my, <laughs> the peak of my symptoms. So we wouldn't really be able to tell anything. And at this point, we we're just like, we just need to get in some more food. So um, yeah, I mean, I'd been in pain for like nine solid weeks by that point. So um it, it really, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have been able to tell what was triggering things and what wasn't. So my period was due the following week. And so in order to prepare for my period, because the last one was so bad, um, I was just kind of like allowed to do like what I would normally do, anti-inflammatory, low sugar, blood sugar balancing, um, and just not worry about the histamines and take quercetin and rutin, which are, um, and antihistamine natural antihistamine um supplements nutrients and I also ate more um high quercetin foods um and the day of was actually the day before we went into quarantine so I haven't eaten out at anywhere except this one place and um I sort of accidentally went a bit crazy I started really balanced and then I ended up having a decaf coffee. Um, I bought my boyfriend a vegan cinnamon bun, which had sugar in it and a gluten in it. And I ate it on the train home from London to Margate. Um, I wouldn't even normally eat that. Um, and I mean, I 
I would treat myself to it in ovulation phase because that's when I am best on, like I can get away with a bit of gluten or sugar. But um, I would like, personally for me, I couldn't eat that towards my period because it like, it's trouble for me. Um, I ate some sugar-free chocolate. Um, I ate avocado. The place that I went to put loads of chili on my avocado, which is not good for the bladder. Um, So I just sort of, went a little bit crazy with eating a lot of histamines in one day um because it I mean I like histamines by the scene like by the sounds of it like all of the foods I love the most are high histamine foods cacao beetroot spinach avocados like yogurt they're all high histamine foods raspberries strawberries um and so, and it's quite, it's very hard to avoid them. So even though I wasn't worrying about histamine, I didn't want to like kind of go too crazy on day one, but um, I did. But the pain dramatically subsided and I slept that night. Now, I don't think it was because the histamine wasn't affecting my bladder. In fact, as time goes on, I'm certain it is, effect- they, you know, histamines are affecting my bladder. Um... And something that actually entirely resolved during the elimination phase was um, my chest tightness, my heart palpitations and my chest pain. They went completely um, and they haven't massively returned since. I think that they were so bad because like I just had such high levels of histamine and I just really needed a break from it. But I think um, a couple of things were going on. So I think number one, I think my neurotransmitters were rock bottom um and just to give you example like in my premenstrual phase when that period was really bad I was so so low um and you know once estrogen drops that's that's a risk especially if you don't have good levels of healthy neurotransmitters and I just I could not stop crying like I felt like an empty shell I cannot explain the depths of how low I felt um, and I was so lucky that like this happened over a weekend so I could literally just kind of, I mean, I don't know, I think I just sat in bed a lot and cried and, and showered and cried in the shower. Um, I'm so lucky it, ha- it happened over the weekend. Um, so I think my neurotransmitters were really, really low and these guys, they're, so, they're really powerful, um, painkillers and, when I think when I ate again and I ate foods I enjoyed, they shot up and they really relieved my pain. So I think that played a massive role. Um, and then I think secondly, um, I became less stressed when I could eat again. And I mean, let's be clear, I wasn't ever eating rubbish before. It wasn't like, oh, I can eat now. I'm going to eat like a six pack of donuts and it it was more that um I had such a good pattern of things that I enjoy to eat to keep me healthy with endometriosis and I was all you know taking that out just sort of turned my world upside down because I'd spent so many years eating in that way um and stress actually creates histamines it literally triggers the body to release histamines so my stress was just going up and up um, and then I wasn't sleeping 
and lack of sleep increases pain signals. Now, I was doing lots of um, safety in my body kind of work, trying to get my brain to feel safe, but I don't think it was enough to override what I was experiencing in terms of stress and deprivation. But the reason why I think that, so I think that's why my pain started to relieve once I started eating again, and that stress and um, resolved and the neurotransmitters kind of shot up. Um, but the reason why I think some of the histamine symptoms resolved and the bladder pain didn't is because of two possible causes. One is um, hydrogen sulfide type SIBO and the other is biofilms. So let's ta- start with hydrogen sulfide SIBO. So um, SIBO is where normal bacteria that should be in your large intestine ends up in your small intestine, it ferments food as it comes in and eats the food as it comes in, and that causes bloating, gas. Um, it creates this gas that ends up causing things like constipation, diarrhea. Um, it damages our gut lining. It reduces our digestive enzymes. It reduces our um, stomach acid and eventually leads to malabsorption and deficiencies. And it's very common in people with endometriosis. So some of the symptoms of hydrogen sulfide type SIBO are, wait, 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 I'm going to back up. There are three types of SIBO, methane type, hydrogen type, and hydrogen sulfide type SIBO. It is harder to test, well, you can't, I mean, you can't officially test for hydrogen sulfide type SIBO. The tests test for methane or hydrogen, but in some cases, by looking at the patterns um, in the results, you can identify um, hydrogen sulfide type SIBO. So anyway, these are the symptoms of hydrogen sulfide type SIBO. Bloating, gas, abdominal pain, diarrhea, constipation, fatigue, um, GERD, nausea, feeling like food is sitting in the stomach, weight loss, food reactions, brain fog, depression and or anxiety, particularly anxiety, um, tingling or numbness in the hands and feet, even arms and legs and arms, food intolerances, sulfur smelling gas, which is quite rare, um, generally feeling unwell, uh, body pain, bladder frequency or urgency, bladder pain, histamine sensitivity, worsening symptoms after Epsom salt bath or sulfur containing foods. And I have about 90% of those symptoms. Um, and I have actually suspected SIBO as as kind of soon as I um, discovered SIBO, gosh, last year, I think, um, I think that I have been suffering it, suffering from it since I was a child. Um, so that's one possible cause. Um, another possible cause, and I actually think this is, I think both are likely, is um, something called biofilms. So biofilms are, um, they accumulate on the surface. So think like the surface of the bladder. And um, they're essentially different microorganisms like bacteria and and fungi, um, fungi. And they create kind of their own complex community. Um, And a good example is plaque is actually um, a microfilm. A microfilm? biofilm um and because there's like a mix of these different bacteria one antibiotic or one antimicrobial herb won't necessarily do it because it's you're not dealing with one species 
you're not even dealing with one type of, um, I don't know what you would call it, but you know, you're dealing with archaea and bacteria and fungi and, and, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and so the doctor might give you an, give you an antibiotic for your, um, UTI and it doesn't go away and it's, it's because it's a biofilm. So by the end of this, that's kind of where I was heading. I was like, yes, I think histamine is playing a massive role. SIBO and histamine tolerance are really um, linked um, because often SIBO ends up leading to histamine intolerance because you lose your digestive enzymes, so you no longer have the enzymes to break down histamine. But I think that the SIBO and biofilms are still present. Um, so what I'm doing now or actually where I am now, um, is that now um, the heart palpitations, the chest pain and the chest tightness have pretty much gone. They come back very lightly when I've eaten too many histamine foods. Um, and I still, I, I'm still having daily pain. Um, I'm in pain. I, I don't think my pain ever goes. I'm trying to fill into my bladder right now. No, it never. Go I don't think it ever goes. Um, it might get to like a two on a really good day, um, but most of the time, it's you know it's somewhere between a five and a ten. Um, but I'm sleeping most of the time. I'm sleeping through the night, like four nights a week, five nights a week, and then I end up having like a bad night. Um, you know, twice a week where I get like four hours sleep or something. Um, and I think what happens is I, it seems to fall on a Wednesday night, which is really helpful because it's the only day I don't have clients. Um, so I sort of make it through Monday to Wednesday. And I think what happens is the histamine builds up from Monday to Wednesday. And then by Wednesday night it's painful. Um, I back off some of the histamines and then I'm good for like the weekend and then it starts to creep back in. I'm still trying to work out where my like um, tolerance level is. Like I, I, I'm, I'm still not clear on like my tolerance level of histamines. So that's going to take me a while and I don't think that it will resolve anyway until I get the SIBO diagnosis and I start rebuilding my gut health. My gut is getting better, but it was really screwed for weeks after the elimination diet and it's still not great. Um, I literally burp all the time. Like I literally will sip water and burp. Um, and I've never, I've literally never had that. Like it's, it's just insane. Um, I'm just now kind of chronically bloated and I, I wasn't, I, I used to have that and I'd really, really got it down. Um, so those two things are really prominent at the moment. Um, I have ordered my SIBO test. I didn't order it straight away because I had to save up for it. So I've now got that and um, I haven't been able to do it yet because it's quite difficult to do. Like you have to do, a, um, it's a breath test. You have to breathe into a tube every 20 minutes for three hours. And um, that's not been possible with clients. So um, I'm going to do it this weekend um hopefully if I can get hold of eggs because you have to do a, a prep diet where you're only allowed to eat eggs and meat um so obviously I'm just going to be eating a ton of eggs 
Um, so if I can find some eggs, then I will be able to do it this weekend. Now, if it is hydrogen sulfide SIBO, it won't come up as a positive test result, but um, I'm trained in SIBO. Um, I have, I'm completing my training and my certificate in SIBO this weekend. So um, I know how to read the graph to look for pattern of hydrogen sulfide TEP SIBO. And then you can kind of um, uh, compare that with symptoms and reasonably assume that hydrogen sulfide SIBO is present. It doesn't always, some people, the graph doesn't indicate hydrogen sulfide SIBO and they still have it. So I'll cross that bridge when I come to it because there are there are ways to kind of work it out. Um, and I know how to treat it. So depending on which type of SIBO it comes back, if it does come back as positive, um, or if I do think hydrogen sulfide type SIBO is present, then I know how to treat it. Um, and if it is present, then I may add biofilm antimicrobial herbs two um which is part of the training that i did because often antimicrobial herbs are sorry often biofilm um often biofilms are present with SIBO. so i could kind of kill two birds and work with one stone but i sort of want to be able to know what it was so i might treat the SIBO first um, and then kind of go down the biofilm route the only thing is says that the SIBO treatment might take months um so it really depends on the severity of the SIBO and how long the treatment will take that will kind of dictate the way that I move forward Jessica's really like she she feels that my instincts are right with this um and so she was actually the one who suggested the biofilms to me I was thinking SIBO and then she suggested biofilms and the more I've learned about them the more I'm like hmm that that sounds like likely and I think that the chances of them developing is quite high because I had a catheter for, I don't know, three or four weeks. And after that, my bladder never felt the same. Um, so I think I, you know, I think I developed an infection that was chronic, not properly treated. And it's, it's developed over the years into what it is now. And then, you know, with, with the SIBO is just compounding that issue. So um, I could be wrong, but that's the path I'm going down now. And if those aren't the answers, then I'm sure that on that journey, I will be getting even closer to what the answers are. But um, I really do think that they at least explain, you know, part of the issue. Um, so the reason why I kind of shared this story is not to be like, oh, that was so hard or to scare you off it, but more to show you that when you don't think something's working, you can still learn so much from it. And you can, sometimes the only way is through, right? Like I don't think I would be on the other side of this elimination diet, understanding my body more, understanding histamines and being able to kind of say, actually, I think it's SIBO. I think it might be biofilms without having gone through that. So I think on a surface level, someone might hear that and be like, well, that sounded like a waste of time, but it wasn't. You know, the the answers that I have got from it are so, so valuable. I now have a direction. You know, I now know where I'm going and I'm closer to an answer and I'm closer to, to treatment um, and resolution. So even though it was really difficult, um, I would do it again um, in order for it to get give me that roadmap. 
Um, having said that, this was a very, very specific diet tailored to me. Um, of course, there's the basics of a low oxalate diet of, or a low histamine diet of an anti-inflammatory diet. Of course, there are those basics, but this was a lot tougher because I was so sensitive and because, um, I'm vegan. So there was, you know, I, I couldn't have meat. Um, and then I was like, oh, I really, you know, I need to be careful with dates and apples and pears and stuff. So it became very complicated. And if you do not think that this is what an elimination diet would be like for you, elimination diets can be straightforward. They can be literally like no sugar and no gluten or just no sugar or no gluten or, or, you know, or just reducing them. Um, they are such valuable tools. They are actually, you know, they've been proven to be the most effective way to identify an intolerance um, or a sensitivity um, or the culprit of a symptom, more so than tests. Um, they are so, so helpful. And everyone's experience of them is different. Um, and it will be tailored to you. So... I would always suggest that you work with someone, a professional, to do an elimination diet. Um, but if you can't, then there are, you know, really good books. Um, Jessica Drummond's book, Nicole Chardim's book. Um, I'm pretty sure Mark Hyman has has a book around elimination diets. Um, but you need to make sure that if you are considering doing one, that you do the one that's right for you and you get as much support as you can, you know, rather than just making one up or something and doing it on your own um so I hope I, I wanted to share this with you because I had shared that journey with you already and I didn't want to just go silent on the matter but um I wanted to give you a version of the story that had some sort of resolution and progress to it and I'm at that point now um so I hope that in some capacity this has been helpful. I'm sorry that this is so long. I, um, yeah, message me if you have any questions or any comments. Um, and I hope that if you are experiencing bladder pain or endo pain or IBS issues that you're able to find some answers to. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.